ladies and gentlemen, live from the west coast of Ireland and the northeast of England, we have in the blue corner Scott Catherine Rennie, gay adoption dad, and Al Code M to the B to the E. <laughs> I think we'll just leave that in. This episode like 153, at this point in time, oh. I don't think we'll, uh, episode 154, I don't think we'll ever repeat that experiment again. Yeah, I don't think we'll remember it. So anyway, how are you, Al? Well, if, I'm fine. If people want to like vote on that, maybe ever, you know, maybe yeah. we'll put that on the thing. How do you find the new intro? <laughs> the one-off new intro. <laughs> then, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, if it, no votes, it doesn't. Yeah, going. and the only reason I said it was because I've been listening to way too many American podcasts over Christmas and New Year, and they're very high energy at the beginning. Yeah. I say I say a lot of them. I mean, like, I scroll through Twitter and then I click on to maybe one or two podcasts that I see. And that I'm not, I don't listen to them all the way through because, to be honest, by the time you get past the first minute, you've lost the will to live on some of them. Um, which is probably quite similar to ours, let's face it. Well, I don't know. I don't know. People do listen. People that look quite like us. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to second. The question. How, yeah. How am I? I I'm yeah. okay. I mean, to be honest, I I lose my stride. I was thinking about this, and I, what I find really odd about Christmas is, and I think this is probably true of a lot of people, is I felt like there was a real sense of stride and where I was going, and, mm-hmm. and then Christmas knocks me for six. Get a touch of the man flu, um, and then it all goes to crap basically. So yeah. I, I've really struggled mm-hmm. to get myself back on track. Really, uh, yeah, and then. When I'm inactive, uh, mm-hmm. this fun- you know this phenomenon, and I think you're going to experience it when we go on holiday this year, um, is <laughs> I become incredibly maudling. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I kind really? of like go, what's the point in doing anything? Why bother? <laughs> Why? What Have I ever done anything worthwhile? What's the point in the podcast? What's the point in even talking to the children? It makes- <laughs> so- oh, you do get maudling then. Oh, proper maudlin. Uh, yeah, grumpy maudlin. So, uh, but I'm oh, I'm breaking yeah. out of that fog, and I've um, I've got the new year, new me. And, uh, yeah, so I'm quite excited. Actually, I'm really excited for this year in some regards because I think I was thinking about this year, and I was thinking, so this is my new high energy me. Woo-hoo-hoo! Um, yeah. Woo. I was thinking, right. Um, so, firstly, thank you to everybody who put um, suggestions what we should do on the podcast because I was thinking probably mm. in a very about low energy. An interesting me, question. Yeah. It was low energy me was thinking, oh, what's the point? Why bother? Wash up with the same old things. And then people put lots of really good suggestions. So even like today is one of them. It's sort of part of that suggestion, isn't it? It fits into there. Mm. So yeah, that kind of got me back on track. So, but that's me and I'm back to yeah. work and I'm I'm still coughing up green stuff and not me yeah. yourself. But how are you, Scott? Well, I have to say, as soon as you started talking, I was going thumbs up at the screen because that's exactly how I felt. Do you remember before Christmas and I said to you, oh, my mojo is so back and my motivation's there and I'm I'm just, yeah. yeah." And similarly, Christmas and New Year came and went and I'm just like, oh, is this it? Is this life? Dark mornings, (laughs) dark nights. I go to work, I come home, it's dreary. There's no, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, Oh, I've got to wait another month to my holiday. You know, oh, what's the point? And then, similarly to you, ended up with this fluey thing that's gone round. So Tris oh. had it, went over New Year, and then I got it 
Every, um, and, and it is knocking people for six. And I think, really? well, personally, I think, I think it's because everybody's lost their immune system during COVID by not interacting with people and sanitizing and over sanitizing all that sort of stuff. But anyway, that's another story. So, and cough. I've never had a cough like it. Never had Ooh. a cough like it. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Um, so similar to you, but equally excited about this new year coming uh, or the, the, 2023. Um, I'd said that 2022 as well. Look how that turned out. But we'll, you know, <laughs> paper over that and crack on. There's no, what, what's the point? What's the point? Um, we've got lots of really exciting things planned for 2020 or 2023, you and I. And I've got yeah, yeah. loads going on here as well. Um, uh, Loads of stuff, um, actually, yeah. A big announcement on Tuesday, work-wise. So, um, yeah, Ooh. that'll be interesting. Ooh. Yeah, not allowed to say anything in a minute. Right. Um, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, and, um, yeah, it's just... So, I'm trying to get my module, my motivation back. Yeah. Get your but it's really hard back. after this time of year, isn't it, I think. And then you yeah. take you take all the sparky lights down and you think, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> what is the point? Like seriously, what is the point? Is there is no sparkly lights anymore. It's true. <clears throat> yeah. a sparkly I, did, light. I did get my bargain Christmas tree yesterday, so for next year. So I'm I saw that. Excellent, well done. Happy. Hundred euros, two hundred euros off it. Oh, what a bargain! Oh, that's a bargain. That puts, that puts bar- Mrs. Coates to shame with her yellow stickers, doesn't it? Honestly. Well, uh, we do have <laughs> one Christ- one New Year's Eve, one New Year's Day. Um, no, New Year's Eve. Paul, uh, she came in, and uh, it, was, it was in our old house, and we used to have really high sort of Victorian ceilings. So they were in like eight foot ceilings, nine foot ceilings. Mm. No, twelve foot ceilings. They were re- eleven foot ceilings. Let's agree, they were eleven foot ceilings. <laughs> um, and she came back from a Focus, which I don't think exists anymore. And she went, um, no. "You need to get yourself to Focus." I went. Like, I was literally asleep, so I was like, she'd been up and out and gone, come back, it was 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. You need to get yourself to focus now. I said, what mm. on earth was she said? Because there's about three men, and they're pulling down the Christmas tree in there. So this is a warehouse. The Christmas in the front mm. of the, the DIY shop warehouse, she said, I bought it. What? <laughs> she, went, she went, it's got no box, it's got no instructions, it's got no labels, but they're putting it in bags, and you have to be there in 30 minutes to pick it up. So we got this 12 foot, I mean, like 12 foot Christmas tree. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. as I pointed out, our house is 11 foot. 11 foot. So, yeah. Um, and it, it took, it was literally a six hour job to put it up. It was like a scaffold, uh, and it was color coded as well. I'm colorblind. She would go, oh, just, just do it. Oh, Honestly, I was demented. Them. Yeah. Totally demented yeah. with it. Anyway, we didn't, well, Christmas yeah, is Yeah, I know. Done. We don't, yeah, it's Christmas gone. It's, it's finished. Gone. With, anyway, yeah. So, we're, we're just, we're cheering ourselves up. We are. So a couple of things. We have got a fantastic guest this week. And I have to say, um, we'll, we're will we not going to do too much about that because I think it, it's no. a really good standalone introduction. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, one thing I would say is I think it's probably my favourite guest of all last year. What, this interview? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I mean, yeah, she was good. Well, because she was just so good. She was yeah. so prepared and she knew yeah. her stuff. And she was yeah. just so she was, and she was just on it. She was just on it. Yeah. She knew us, yeah. and she and some of her question, like your question, your question at the end was very tricky, um, and she <laughs> just glided through that. I'll tell you, I'm turning more into Jeremy Paxman than anybody could have you know, ever she, imagined. I want the truth. You were screaming down the Zoom call. <laughs> if I, I was in the room, the I would have been shaking her. I would have been shaking her by the by the shoulder, the saying, "Give me the answer, woman." No, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not very physical. Yeah. Anyway. Um, 
so yeah. I think there's a, a couple of news items I want to pick up on. Um, and I got a text off you last night and I love that I got a text off you because you never, <laughs> ever, ever give me like, there's never anything for Any the news material. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so I got to tell, right, Scott, over to you. This is your, this well, is your news item. Yeah, well, this what this was because I was watching. Um, we, long story short, our telly in the kitchen because uh, there's no such thing as terrestrial TV here. We have got Sky and Large. This one is all apps, so Sky News is on quite a lot for Ireland. We watch Sky News, whatever. And there was all this stuff about the APPG because the Sky News are doing this thing about the Westminster accounts at the minute. So they've yeah. they've really trawling all the ins and outs of income and you know all that sort of stuff, yeah. donations, etc. Um, but the APPG came up. So um, and the APPGs are. Um, basically groups that are apparently set up by MPs to discuss various different things. There's a number of them. We know there's so one the, for adoption. There's, there's the all-party parliamentary group, isn't it? It's like a yeah. special interest group. Would that be a... Yes, that's exactly what you would call it, yes. Um, and it can be for anything. You know, it can be... Um, I'm just scrolling now, but um, we do... We know there's one for adoption, um, which uh, is, you know, Run, I can't remember now who the two blimmin MP is. But McCaskill? I think it might be. I think you might be right. Um, and of course, though? well, this is the thing. I'm not sure because mm. we haven't heard much about it, have we? Um, and it's, I mean, I know that Adoption UK and Home for Good used to do the secretariat of that. Um, and essentially, PPGs are people who are interested in specific topics, so um, as in MPs. Yeah who are interested in specific topics so they can join um, and they can kind of... Uh, I, I watched the interview and they were talking about it being lobbying groups and, yeah. um, you know, you can make a difference by, you know, contributing to an APPG um, and there's a thing around donors to certain APPGs as well, which was obviously why Sky News have picked up because there's some very interesting and I haven't got them to hand. So we might talk about it as this comes out and gets, right. gets wider. Um, but there were some really interesting contributions to APPGs um, from donors. <laughs> what are you <laughs> that, suggesting, Scott? Well, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying there were some really interesting donations <laughs> given um, from some dodgy cover companies. That's what I would call them. There you go. I've right. said it out loud. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting because the APPG, I always assumed that it was something that came from maybe the DFE or, you know, something like that because it's specific. Um, the one that I know about was specific to adoption. Yeah, so I assumed, wasn't it? I think yeah, adoption and permanency. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I always assumed incorrectly that that was something that was driven by the DFE as a kind of subgroup to some of the work that you and I and the ASGLB and all that sort of stuff do. But it's not. It's a separate interest group, and I just thought it was really interesting. I, I mean, you know, well, I don't know. Well, I don't. Th you're not suggesting that uh, m money has been. No, oh God, no, no. Can I just, uh, just be clear on that? But the money, but the, 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 the APPG wouldn't run without a donation. So somebody will have contributed in some way. And I haven't looked at it. That's what I'm saying. I just saw it on the telly and I thought, oh, I'll mention that to Al because he might be interested in that. Because I know how you like a bit of scandal now and again. Well, I um, love a bit of gossip, me. Yeah. So we're, 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 we're going to do a bit of research. Um, and interestingly, the reporters, uh, the journalist that's done it is called Sam Coates. Alcott, Sam Coates. 
Oh, same thing. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me. Dodgy character. Um, well, I, yeah. I sort of, I then then did go away and find my specs because I texted you back going, can't read yes. your text. I haven't got my specs. So I went off and found that thing. Um, the thing that made me think, and so maybe this is where I'm slipping into, I think my bridges are burnt with Home for Good. I think that they've, they've struck me off their Christmas card list. They've probably got mm. a lovely Christmas card list, haven't they? After my flippant emails back to them on a Friday afternoon. Um, but I think that um, it does raise a question about special interest groups, isn't it? About who sets them up. And I'm not suggesting there's anything nefarious in Home for Good at all. Um, but what I do think is that it, it represents a particular perspective, as does Adoption mm. UK, which is to promote adoption. Now, I'm not... <coughs> Excuse me. Go on, get it up there. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I can't mute myself, listeners. Sorry, because I get told off if I mute myself. Um, true. But I do have a very chesty and throaty cough, so okay, you're well, just going to have to put up with it. Just go with it. Um, yeah. It, it does. It does raise interest. It is interesting though because that actually sort of ties into the uh, another thing that I was going to talk about is that the C, you know the CVA uh, report yeah. that's being yeah. released at the Houses of Parliament. I've been invited. So the yeah, no, and I'm going to podcast. start upsetting them by replying to their emails and signing them off our courts because you get invited to this stuff. You don't like half these people. I go not long, and what? you know what? What? How dare? How dare you besmirch my? <laughs> Good character. <laughs> I love, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like, I don't know, I'm like the Tom Hanks of adoption. Everyone likes Tom Hanks. Oh God, don't, please don't. No, don't compare yourself like that, mate. Okay. Nora. Fair enough. Anyway, yeah, go on. Um, so that I think that is worth watching, and I think it is worth bearing in mind that mm. whenever we get these reports, that there's people, and Home for Good have got a really specific perspective. You know, they're, they're very yes. pro-adoption, pro-fostering. Yeah. Um, not that you can, well, it's hard, isn't it, to take a position of, oh, we're very against adoption, but. Yeah, but <laughs> I think no one's going to take I, that position, are they? <laughs> well, this is the thing, and do you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because last year, really, towards the end of last year, this, and you've said it a couple of times, adoption is changing. It's not the gold kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. it's not the gold thing anymore. Um, I'm hearing a lot. You're probably hearing a lot. I'm, you know, seeing a lot of things being said and done that would indicate that there is a big, a massive change coming. It's like going to be a, a you know, it's like, I guess it's like turning the, the Titanic round in some ways, but it is turned and it's nearly completed its journey. Mm -hmm. There's there's stuff going to happen in 2023, which I think is going to shock everybody, um, yeah. and it's just going to it's just going to disrupt everything and it's going to change the landscape completely. Um, and I think that these sorts of things are, are what's going to contribute to it as well. Um, and I don't think there's any saving of it. I think once it's done, it's done. You know, I'm seeing, mm. um, well, we've, you know, again, we've not, I know we've not upset them, but, you know, Adoption UK, we've invited the new CEO, Emily, to come on. Um, she was ill. Um, we haven't heard back from her since. I'm hope, hoping that she will come on at some point. Um, but my point in mentioning that is that, that, you know, it's like everybody's gone back into their corners and doing their own thing. Because, yeah. do you know, um, and I'm very much a collaborator. You know that. I love I love to work with different people and different things and stuff. Unless they touch your spreadsheets. Not, well, <laughs> well, yeah, don't touch my admin. If you start touching my admin, then we will follow out or my marketing um, on my Canva. Just don't. If, if, if you go there, we will fall out and you will end up with, <laughs> with, with less fingers than you started with. Yeah, I, I don't think that's actually understand. what happened to Al I was staying at his house one night and he touched my canva and my admin so I went in and did some damage to his finger that's how his finger ended up yeah and then and it suddenly became clear that you've removed access to the shared 
podcast bank account that sort of made perfect not us um i I looked at that did i not text you about that i looked at that at christmas and i managed to open it oh thank heavens i did no i did think that you had gone off on it's not not the podcast bank account we don't have a podcast bank account do we not no we don't oh we've got we've got our our no borders no borders training.org okay Cool. Yeah, this and is, an email. Into like a team meeting. It's so long since we've talked. Bespoke requests. Uh, no, yeah. that's next week. That's <laughs> next week. Um, oh yeah, next week. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I totally agree, and I think that the home, that the the lobbying thing, that like even I, I think I'm sure that the APPG for adoption permanent is should, the adoption mm. special guardian group leadership board is gone. gone. Yeah. Dominoes are falling really quick, and I don't think yeah, people are, that's are clicking I mean. to that yeah. really quick. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's within a space of six weeks. Yeah. Um, so what? And today space? we'll know next week about the 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 future of the ARG, the Adopter Reference Group. Um, you know, that's on the agenda for next week because that's what that's why yeah. how Al and I are going to manage a team meeting next week because we're in London together. Hey, yes. we're skipping merrily down Whitehall, holding hands. We should do a live. We should do a series of lives in different places, like pictures of you and me, like um, like on our holiday snaps. Big Ben, <laughs> the wheel. <laughs> Trafalgar Square, um, yeah. Buckingham Palace. Um, we'll do that. That'll be fun, and then we'll do we'll do some lives. We'll that'll be yeah. wizard, wizard as they would say. And um, the other, I've got quite a few lists. There's a few things I'm going to put up some links into the podcast notes. Um, the one being in relation to um, the government poll. The government have asked for specific consultation survey on in yeah. relation to Ofsted and whether people mm. should provide. It. Have we chatted about that before? I don't want to get too much into the long no. Grass. I don't think we have. Um, I thought it was a really interesting one that you because I saw the email that you pointed out and because nobody had asked, <laughs> nobody had made us aware of it. <laughs> Not that we're important, appeared. but we normally we normally get um, you know asked to yeah kind of share this kind of stuff and we weren't. Um, and I think it's a really I I've only briefly looked at it, but I thought it was a really interesting um, poll survey, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I don't again. If we haven't seen it, I'm not being funny. If we haven't seen something, then the chances are it's not going to be that well known yeah. about because we are we are the kind of like to scroll, so we see everything, don't we? Oh, yeah. tell you. So we see was, everything. We do see everything, all seeing eyes. Um, mm. We so it was on two specific points, wasn't it? It was about because currently anyone who accesses the ASF has to access it through uh, to an Ofsted provided. Yeah. or an Ofsted approved or Ofsted registered, sorry, provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is often done under the banner of the local authorities. So they're saying, shall we remove that requirement? And I think yeah. and I think that one actually is a bit mute because I think people are just sort of working their way around it. I think the the main one, the second one, is in relation to post-18 people accessing support and do they have yeah. to be Ofsted registered? Yeah. I think that's massive. It's huge. <laughs> it's huge. But where is it? Where, you know, nobody, we've, nobody's yeah. actually said, you know, Let's do this. Well, well, I think. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I think that the it sort of does it ping off the back <clears throat> of the um, the back of the joint human rights committee into forced adoption, where that was raised as an issue by a lot of adopted adoptee people. I think it was raised <laughs> as an issue, but yeah. also um, off the back of you know the. You, you were under the weather and I went to the parliament last year and that, that was sort of in the wash about how accessing support. So I think there's a precedent there for, but interesting, Ooh. Pam Hodges got in touch with me. Um, Pam Hodges, who is a campaign and adopted adoptee, a yeah. social worker who has worked 
tirelessly to support and reunite, um, kind of to to rebuild reconnect relationships, families, yeah. reconnect, yeah. Um, and she's yeah. sort of saying there's more to go. We need to do more on requirements. Yeah. So actually, she's got in touch with us um, in relation to what we should be doing and trying to raise a campaign about um, before it's too late because there's a lot of people, yeah. birth parents, who are going to be too old. This is a, yeah. like a news-heavy intro, isn't it? Yeah, um, isn't it? Yeah. So that, um, that consultation is open. I'll put the link to it in the yeah. show notes because I think people should... Yeah. Put your views on there, and I think yeah, as many people yeah. as can. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not going to give too much of an intro, but the next one is in relation to 16 and 17-year-old 17 semi-independence, because currently children and young people um, in the care who go into semi-independence go. There's no sort of Ofsted requirement for register for inspection or regulation of the premises that they go oh, into. Okay. So oh. that that's changing. So the that is going to happen, um, and the because the service that I work for, I'm a director of. We support unaccompanied asylum-seeking children, yeah. and we've got about thirty of them. And we're not registered, you know, we're not officer registered. We don't have to be. And I think you know we are. We provide a, an amazing service for young people, and we you know really go the extra mile. So we're not. We're, we're like, like, yeah, bring it on. We want to be registered, and we want to be you know. Um, mm. But there's a lot of young people who just literally get put in bedsets. So. I'll put the link to that consultation as well if people are interested in filling that in because I think that's worthwhile. But that closes yeah. on the, on Monday, so I apologise if you listen to that after this. Um, <coughs> um, I'm coming to the end of my news I my news list. One thing I would say is that um, there was a... I think what I'd really like us to do an episode in the future about social workers, about turnover mm. in social workers, about some of the questions people are asking about social working with difficult social workers um, mm. and you know all about that scott i thought you could you know you've you've, you've known me for years <laughs> yeah. lots of exactly there's no turnover with you <laughs> you're still there <laughs> <laughs> you do know that i'm allocated to you don't you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> legally <laughs> legally bound at the hip um yeah i mean I, I, we, we see it a lot don't we and i saw your tweet this week about it um i didn't reply because it's not something you know twitter to me is a bit of a mess at the minute so i'm kind of yeah um anyway that aside yes it's and we i've heard this for years about you know turnover and social workers and all that sort of stuff so i think it'd be a worthy focus for an episode definitely smashing and maybe we can get people to put their views because i think it's something that people Ooh. have a lot of perspectives on I think um, the that's the end of my list of things. I'd just like to say that uh, one thing I am doing this year, and I'm going to tell you about um, before I ask you one mm. question. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm I'm starting to juggle again. Right, I didn't know that you juggled in the first place. To be honest, what? Right. <laughs> I'm in here. Do you want to see me juggle? Oh yeah, I'd that's nice. So what I've done is I've gone back to um, For those of you that can't see this, because nobody else can see it apart from me, he's juggling green balls. Yeah. So I'm, I've taken up juggling. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to juggle 10 minutes every day until... And yeah, and I'm going to put skill of the day, trick of the day on my Instagram. Oh, okay. So I'm, that, you, that's totally uninteresting. So my final Ooh. question to you is, Scott, Scott, what would be your top tip, for, which links into our interview and links into a question we had on Twitter... What would be your top tip for adopting older children? 
don't do it. I mean, um, <laughs> I'm joking. There's something on the line there. There's <laughs> yeah. Internet. <laughs> My top tip for adopting older children. Oh, blimey. Oh, I don't know. I think, um, I don't know. What would be, I, that's, that's a curveball question for me. I'm trying to think, because I did it. And I think that my top tip to anybody think considering adoption would be don't forget about older children. Um, so that bit. But if you are adopting older children, then make sure that you've got time for yourself and for your, you know, for your relationship. Because it's very hard when you're older to adopt an older child. That'd be, that's the only thing I can think of, really. There's nothing else. <laughs> really, genuinely, nothing else. Well, that's Scott speaking no. to the nation. Hot take yeah. from Scott. I know. Oh, Mick. So you put me on the spot like that, and that's what I come. That's the crap that I come out with. <laughs> Tell you, it's podcasting gold. That is. Oh, I'm ill. I'm putting it down to being ill. Right. What I want you to do. Here's your homework for the weekend. Is I want you to put your top on Twitter. I want you to put your top three tips for adopting older children. Are you kidding me? No. You know I've had a year off from talking adoption on any social media as much as possible anyway. And you're putting me into the lion's den like this. <laughs> okay, okay. In that case, put it onto our Facebook page in the Yes, Facebook, that's a fair idea. In the Facebook yeah. group. And um, we've got a yeah. if you if you go to a, if you search us on their Facebook, we've got a Facebook um, page and a Facebook group which people can join. Yeah. It's a bit more secluded and we, we don't Actually, we just let anyone in. We don't let anyone in. You know, if people say, hi, I'm a psychopath, Actually, can I come? To be fair, we have admins that deal with it for us. Oh, we do, don't we? We do. We've got we've got ladies and gentlemen that actually do things for us on there, um, which is really good, actually, because, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much they actually do, but they're there, anyway. Um, and they, they, they kick people out if they don't answer the entry questions. Brutal. And they're, they're brutal. They're brutal. They are brutal. To the point where I go, okay, they haven't answered the question, so I'll let somebody else deal with that one because <laughs> I'm not going to message them. Oh, smashing! Um, well, right. So that's your your aim for the weekend is you're going to put your top three tips for adopting older children onto the Facebook page and into the group right, so we can have a okay. proper old narrative about it. Okay, fabulous. Um, and I'm um, just on the as a side note, I was thinking we need to join TikTok for the Adoption Fostering Podcast, the NF Podcast. All right, because I'm seeing a lot more posts about adoption on there, and I think that we need to start. Oh, let's do it this week. We need let's to do it this start week. working out in London. Working out how we do TikTok when we're not together. <laughs> oh, please let's do that. Can we do TikTok in London? Can you have you and me dancing in yeah. front of Parliament? Should we do that? Should we, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, you, know, you do know TikTok isn't just dancing, don't you? Because uh, no, yeah, there are the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your face there. That is the most edit of my days. Oh, so, oh anyway, right. I, I'm, I, I'm not dancing on TikTok. I might look at you dance on TikTok while I'm speaking, but that'll be it. Right. So there is a special interest website, uh, the Gay Scott Watching Al Dance on the internet. That's gay like Scott. really Gay Scott. <laughs> 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 oh, you're mental. I'm, I'm going to lose my registration over that, aren't I? <laughs> Again. 
again. They might give it back to me. Oh, well, that has been an absolute blast. It's so good to talk to you because I feel like we haven't talked over Christmas because we were too busy being poorly and miserable. Yeah. And having to spend time with people that we didn't like. I mean, um, with our families, sorry. <laughs> My brother came from Africa, bless him. He's going back I next know. week. Yeah. Bless his heart. Yeah. Gosh. Cool. Anyway. Well, look after yourself, as, as always. Uh, bon yeah. Jovi. Do we need to introduce this lady, or is it just going to do it itself? Oh, right. Well, it's Rita Sorenin from the um, the Jeff Dave Thomas. Thomas Foundation. Dave you know why Thomas I keep Foundation. saying Jeff Thomas? Is because, That's because your um, name's Jeff. Jeff. No, there's a, there's a foundation in England for Jeff Thomas. It's a, it's a cyclist who gives money to charity. Oh, right. No, it's the Dave Thomas Foundation. Yeah, it's, so it's uh, Rita Sorenin from the Dave Thomas Foundation. And Rita, if you've got this far, hoping for a really good interview, I'd just like to apologise. <laughs> Um, or a really good introduction (laughs) yeah absolutely seamless um please she's she'll be she'll be telling her her executive assistant do not ever do anything with english (laughs) podcasts again please because they're just mental they're but they're box of frogs mad yeah uh borderline half wits yes yeah okay well uh enjoy yourself rita i hope you had a cracking christmas and um uh Scott, as always, Bon Jovi. And Jovi. So today we are joined by Rita Sorenin from the uh, from America. Actually, we're we're privileged today because we've managed to to jump time zones. Um, and um, Rita is from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, and is a president and chief executive officer. I think we would call it a chief executive officer here. You've got CEO. Is it the same thing? Same thing. Yeah. Fabulous. Welcome, Rita. Welcome Thank along. You. Thank you. I'm I'm so excited to be here. Cool. Let's see if you're saying that at the end of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so first of all, um introduce yourself a little bit and let us know a little bit about you. I've I've given you a brief intro there, but tell us a little bit more. Sure. Thanks. Um, and again, thanks for having me. I love that we're uh, across the ocean here, but we're still talking about a, a conversation that we're all passionate about, and that's um, children who are waiting to be adopted. And the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption in the U.S., and we also have a separate Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption Canada as well. Same mission, same vision. And the mission is to dramatically increase the adoptions of children who are in the foster care system. They're through no fault of their own. They've been abused or neglected. Um, and they're simply waiting for adoptive families to step forward. And so we look at all of those platforms that can help us do that more effectively, whether it's best practices or education, research, policy work, all of those things. And for us in the United States, simply raising awareness about the number of children who are waiting to be adopted. And we use everything, all the tools at our our disposal to do that and make sure that when people are thinking about adopting, we're never trying to dissuade someone from an infant or going international. But while you're thinking about adopting, know that there are children right here uh, in our backyard who are waiting to be adopted and who, for whatever reason, have had a really fairly traumatized at times or at best rough start in life and are simply waiting for a family to step forward. So that's the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. I've been a part of this program for over 20 years, which seems amazing to me. It's gone really quickly, but I've always been in this this world of vulnerable children and and trying to address what's best for children. Um, How do we ensure their rights? How do we ensure that they can grow and thrive to the best to the best of their ability and, and advantage 
So just quickly on the Dave Thomas Foundation there, because knowing the geography and I have lots of family in Canada, but not America. Are the two foundations linked or are they separate? So they're linked in terms of exact mission, exact vision, same implementation of programs, but wholly separate um, legal and financial entities so that dollars raised in Canada stay in Canada and dollars raised in the U.S. stay in the U.S. Cool. I, I was more asking that for me, not for anybody else. <laughs> no, That's you know what you know. You know what it's like. You know, we've got the same thing with um, the UK and, yep. and and Ireland, and you know, it's kind of separate, but we're joined and connected yep. and all that sort of stuff. So yep. it's always it's an always an interesting one for me. Yeah. Um, can I ask? Because I think that I'm putting my UK centric head on. I think we. Uh, Speaking to a lot of families in the UK who are adoptive or adoptive families or prospective adoptive families, I think we look into the the US system and it seems the words are all the same, but it feels very different. Mm. It's, it's a shared language and perhaps a shared purpose, but culturally and legislatively, it's very different. Um, and I think we're probably quite familiar with the sort of the, 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 um, I'm being careful with my words. So if I say anything wrong, just, you know, please smack me down. Um, uh, the paid for system, the kind of the the for-profit organizations that literally are looking for parents or, you know, young mums who can't look after their child. And then that's those private, private, that's the word, isn't it? Private options. And so I think that we probably see it through that lens and that, and that gets a lot of oxygen. I'm not sure that we're particularly that or fair with the, the system that you're talking about, which is children out of the foster care system, which is in the UK, which is, I think, would we say exclusively? 90, yeah, 99.5 probably yeah. percent, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah, we have no private adoptions or maybe we have one a year, you know, that's yeah. probably secretly done. So could you tell us a little bit about the US system? How do children, what is the legal process for a child to be find themselves in a situation where they can be adopted? Um, what is... And what does that then look like? What do and what do adoptive parents have to do to get approved? Lots of that's a big question. So, yeah, no, and and it's a great question, and I think there is this sort of um, different terms, but frequently mean the same thing. So, for us in the U.S., private agencies do work in the public child welfare system. If you think about a private adoption that's wholly private, that it's maybe a for-profit private agency, those yeah. tend to be for infants and for international infant adoption, but for Um, The child welfare system here in the U.S., it's a combination of public and integrated private systems. So I'll I'll get a little more specific. So, for example, here I live in the state of Ohio. It's a county run uh, state so that there are 88 different counties across the state of Ohio. And there's a state based overlay, the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services, under which it's the umbrella uh, for all of the county agencies. But the implementation of the child welfare system might be a public system in one county, and they might contract with private agencies in another county to do foster care and foster care adoption. So it gets kind of um, mixed together, those terms here. But all children in the child welfare system are ultimately part of a public child welfare system in the United States, no matter what the implementing agency is for foster care or foster care adoption. So, for example... 
a child is is reported to be abused or neglected in the United States. There are laws in place that say that must uh, a report must be made, um, particularly yeah. if there's a mandated reporter by law that is aware of the abuse. As soon as that report is made, no matter what state they're in, in every state, all 50 states function differently than each other. And within state county-run systems, Sometimes all 88 counties run a little bit different than each other, so right. it can get a little <laughs> complex. But there is this still federal overlay with the laws that trickle down. And so uh, um, uh, that report is made and the, the organization in that city or that county or that state is mandated to investigate that report within a certain period of time. And they either find that there's nothing to this and they close a case or there may be something to it. And so we're going to investigate it further or there's uh-huh. an immediate risk to that child. And so they they may remove that child and place them in foster care. And then it's this long system of winding through the child welfare system and courts who make determinations of safety for this child. Can this child go home? Can this child um, stay in foster care, but we'll put services in place? Ultimately, the goal is always to to get these child to their biological home, to their home of origin. That's where children deserve to be unless for some reason there truly is a safety issue, that child cannot be safely raised there. And it takes the courts here a long time to finally say, even though there are timelines that are supposed to be put in place, there's escape yep. hatches for those timelines, right? Mm. Um, it, ultimately, a court may say, no, this this family is going to be permanently severed from this child and this child from this family. There's no longer any right of access, no legal relationship between this child and family. And that's when... The adoption system steps in and they should have been doing something before, but frequently they wait until that that court hearing, that termination of parental rights. And then they they work, the public and private agencies work to find an adoptive family, hopefully extended family members um, or fictive kin, people that are in this child's life. And if not, then those sort of strangers that come to the system to say, I'd like to adopt out of foster care. So sorry, that may have been way too long based on what you asked, but um, it's this complex sort of, yes, federal oversight, federal legislation trickles down to states, funding flows in different ways in order to accommodate foster care and adoption. Um, but it gets very complex at that implementation stage, depending mm. on the state or the or the jurisdiction that a child exists in. I mean, in some ways, that's comparable to how the situation we have between the U- um, England and Scotland, because Scotland, Scotland has its own legislative yeah. body uh, that has its own assembly. So it's so almost like two states with different... Mm. But I mean, it, when you say, talk to it, put it in those terms, it feels very familiar. You know, the... Yeah. The, the guiding principle of children should remain with their families where possible, yes. but yes. that, for whatever reason, that's not not always the case. Um, can I ask then, unless Scott, because Scott's been telling me off lately because I ask too many questions. Am I okay to ask another question, Scott? Yes, you're fine. Off you go. Off you trot. Thank you. Permission granted. Um, There'll be no questions left time he's finished, and I'll just sit here looking pretty, so, you know. Shame well, we're not on a on a screen somewhere, find, you know. We all find our place. <laughs> um can I ask then, um culturally again, the I think one of the things I mean, we get a lot of our I suppose a lot of our cultural stuff. You the US leads the world in culture, you know, in the sense that we a lot of our media that we we consume comes from the US. Um but what I see is that older children get adopted in the US where um, 
what would you say, Scott, would be, would a social worker in England, I'm a social worker, would, what would they class as a child as, you know, I say in inverted commas, too old to adopt in the UK? What um, age would? Wow, this is an interest because, you know, once I start on this, I won't right. stop talking. So uh, age four would be classed as an older child, wouldn't it? Or, two, mm. or almost getting to the, the point where it's, and then yeah. age 10 would be the maximum age, the absolute maximum age. Unless there was some real stuff, you know, potentially going on. And we know of a couple mm. of, you know, uh, young people who have been adopted, you know, later than that. But age 10 would be the maximum age for yeah. adoption. And quite UK. exceptional. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so my I've... my children yeah. were seven and eight, and that was wow. old. That was old. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, Al. No, so it's good. How does that compare to sort of perceptions and practice in the U.S.? Right. No, it, it's so interesting because, uh, it, look, it, there's there's two sides to this conversation. First and foremost, um, I think in the U.S., there's the belief that every child, no matter their age or their journey or how they identify themselves or what their family structure look like, that every child who's been freed for adoption should find an adoptive family. So that whether that's birth through 18. Right. Um the challenge here in the United States right now, we have about 113,000 children who have been freed for adoption. They're in the system waiting to be adopted every year. And this is year over year. And these numbers have not changed in a long time. About 20,000 children turn 18 and leave foster care without an adoptive family. They've been freed for adoption and they leave with an, an adoptive family. So we say, yes, all children um, here in the U.S. can be adopted no matter what their age is. But the reality is that not all of them are. And that's where the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption has stepped in over the past couple of decades to really focus on that group of children who were freed for adoption, who then at that moment, a judge pounds a gavel and, and, and frees that child for adoption, makes an implicit promise to the child that we will find you a, another family. Uh, and then we fail that child 20,000 times year over year, essentially. Mm -hmm. So culturally, there may be a, a shift in, in attitudes toward whether or not a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old is adoptable. But in reality, um, we haven't yet fully embedded a practice that makes that the case that every child is adoptable in the United States. And so that's become really our mantra and and our and others as well. It's not just the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption that um, we do have to focus on on older children and teens. Now, having said that, every few years we do a national survey of Americans' attitudes. So there's practice and then there's attitudes and belief systems, right? Mm. Um, and um, what we find is that about 51% of Americans, and this was just came out about a year ago, 51% of Americans, so a majority of Americans believe that a child is in foster care because they've done something wrong, that they're juvenile delinquents. That's the phrase they use. So if you already have that viewpoint, you're probably not going to step forward and say, boy, I can't wait to adopt a 16-year-old male that's been in the system for about five years, who may have some deeply embedded trauma behaviors that cause him to be perhaps challenge life a bit and challenge the adults around him. Um, so we've got this this mix of, again, uh, cultural beliefs, um, systemic issues that that are challenges for these children based on race or color or how they identify themselves. And then we've got practices that say, but yes, every child is adoptable. So we're still struggling with that back and forth mm. as well. I mean, that's quite a, I mean, what is it with 51 and 52% in 
voting surveys, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> it's so frustrating, isn't it? But 51%, that's a really high number of people to think that children who and young people who are in foster care have done something wrong to be They've end up there. Wrong. Right? It I'm makes not, me sad. Keeps yeah. me up at night. Yeah. I'm not even yeah. sure we think, do we think like that in the UK, I'm not sure we do. I mean, there's, yeah, well, there will be, a, there will be, there will be some, but you know, I'm just one. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've, I've not seen a comparative that. survey because if you asked, you know, when True. you when you're immersed yeah. in the world, probably like you are, Rita, that you you when you're immersed in this world, you know, I'm a social worker, um, then you you feel like you this becomes common knowledge. But actually, if you were to go out into the street and say, well, you know, are they just you know, I'd say in inverted commas again, naughty kids, kids who are not doing what the parents are wanting or kids who have got on the wrong, you know, on the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, maybe that is the case. I don't know. It's, but it's right. horrifying. It is horrifying. And, I, and this is just a national snapshot. We're not, we're not asking the question of social workers or of, you know, judges yeah. or people that are enmeshed in the child welfare system. This is just the person on the street kind of interview. And yeah. so if that's the belief system, then that drives us to mm. make sure that our messaging is different too, that, that, you know, here's why children are in foster care. Here's what the system is. Here's the trauma they've experienced. Here's why you might think that they're bad kids, you know, that they're yeah. acting out when they're just trying to resolve so many issues um, that they've experienced in their lives. We also know from the same survey. So again, and not so different from what you see, 60% of Americans would prefer to adopt a child age five or younger. So the, the preference, you know, that, that mm. I think that, that um, coincides with that 51% number, of yeah. course. Um, so, but, but, you know, think about it. You all have teens, right? Or, or you've lived with teens or you were a teen yourself at one point. Look, we, we don't like teens, no matter what country you live in. We, we're not real <laughs> fond of teens, right? You go Hard into work. a party you have a party and you start talking about your kids and what happens to everybody's face if they're 12 or older everybody's eyes start rolling and you start telling your horror stories when quite honestly they're the most engaging creative yes frustrating creatures it's that most um challenging period of a human's growth but that's just what it is they're 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 just learning they're trying to become adults yeah. so we have this predisposition to not like teens to begin with then think about them mm -hmm. in foster care then add issues of race and and abuse and domestic violence and substance abuse in the family whatever it is mm -hmm. and they've just got everything working against them yeah mm -hmm. that's a true story isn't it i mean two of my three I got on with better as teens than I did when they were younger, <laughs> which I find yeah. really fascinating because yeah. I could engage with them on a more immature level yeah. than my partner because <laughs> that's the kind of parent I am, you see. <laughs> and, uh, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. It's, it is. The figures are fascinating. I, I mean, because, you know, we, the, the adage isn't the way two similar countries separated by a common language. Um, we're not, we are, you know, the US is a totally different country the fact that we speak the same language is just coincidental mm, yeah um why i mean it sounds like a really obvious question but who are who's coming to adoption from the state system or the you know the public system as opposed to the private system in the us because it must be that if if parents uh, prospective adoptives have got a very clear choice is that do you have data on who's who's going where and why they're going there yeah, and it's changing. It has been changing over the past uh, couple of years as well. So if if someone's looking to adopt an infant, um, 
chances are they've got the resources to do that, right? Um, because it is expensive. You've got to hire an attorney, a private agency. If you're going internationally, all the costs Im implied in international adoption. And you tend to be maybe a little bit younger um, just because you're either starting out, you know, you've got a notion of family and you're starting out with an infant, either for whatever reason you biologically can't have one or you choose not to have an infant or you're a single parent. Um, a lot of single parents in the U.S. are adopting infants um, and choosing not to wait until they're they're in a committed relationship. Okay. They've, they've gotten older and decided they're just going to adopt. But for the foster care system, what we do find is um, it tends to be a sort of middle to lower income person that steps forward to adopt out of the foster care system. Lots of single parents that do. Lots of um, uh, folks who are connected somehow to the system. Either they were adopted or they they grew up in a family that had adoption or foster care. They understand the system. And so they step forward to because they want to be a part of the solution of, of these children waiting in care. Older folks. So people who have already raised a, a family, perhaps, and, and they still say, yeah. wait, I've got room in my heart. I've got room in my home. I, I don't like this idea of empty nesting. I've got time and, and, and perhaps resources to think about adopting in that. Those are the folks that tend to adopt an older child. They don't want an infant. They don't want to deal with diapers and med midnight feedings and, and preschool and all of those things again. So it's just a changing mix. And certainly for us in the United States, and you'll have to tell us if it's the same, same-sex couples, either single or or in a committed relationship are stepping forward in a much um, uh, bigger number to adopt out of foster care as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say um, that was um, definitely the case. What are the figures, um, Scott, you'll be able to, our LBTQQ plus <laughs> correspondent, Scott, will be able to give you the figures. What, what, how, what's the approximate, uh, is it? I, I can't I remember. Think it was, um, I, think, I think it's four in 10 for the whole of the UK, but I'm, I'm Keep chatting. I'm going to investigate that because I need to know, really. I haven't checked for a while, so. Yeah, and, and I don't know what the numbers are here, but it's it's certainly a, it's certainly a significant number. Now we've had some, you know, cultural and legislative challenges here in the U.S. I'm sure you've yeah. been hearing about um, people trying to put roadblocks up, but I don't, I, yeah, hopefully that's not going to continue. I mean, I don't want to draw you onto the rocks of politics, but I'll give it a go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um because again, looking into looking into the US, seeing that again, adoption is kind of central to some of those narratives around abortion, about mm -hmm. the kind of the, the the Supreme Court unraveling the the federal right to abortion, and then yep. the comments from the justice saying, "Oh, it's yep. a good route for adoption," and you kind of go, "That feels so alien." And then adoption is also really intrinsically linked to faith in a way that it yes. isn't in the UK. Yes. Can yes. you give us a few? I mean, I don't want to. If it's a hot potato, then pass it on to Scott. Um, <laughs> but if you're happy to maybe give us a few thoughts and comments, I don't want. I certainly don't want to draw you onto the rocks. No, no worries. I think they've become oddly tightly woven conversations in a way that it wasn't um, previously. Look, as soon as the Supreme Court decision was made, I was getting calls from AP and UP reporters all over the place. Mm -hmm. So what's the impact on foster care? Because the Supreme Court justice had made the comment that she made during the hearings. And the reality is, the foster care system in the U.S. isn't rife with babies. It, that's not the issue. You know, yeah. the average age of a child waiting in the foster care system in the United States is eight. So um, 
this isn't about babies in the foster care system. And we know from research that even if a woman who may not have wanted to have that baby, but chooses to, or is forced to, they tend to keep those babies. And for the yeah. ones that that don't, then that goes into that private adoption system where dollars are to be made based on babies. Um, but it becomes tightly woven, you're right, with faith-based organizations as well. And that's where we've had some challenges with some faith-based organizations saying, look, I, I don't want to go against my faith and let uh, um, a committed same-sex couple come in and adopt a child. It's not part of my faith. Mm. Um, and so there have been challenges in court for that. Um, the, the reality is that the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption believes that every child deserves family. Every qualified family that steps forward, no matter what they look like, how they define themselves, um, what their what their preferences are in this world, either faith-based or 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 in the privacy of their own home, means nothing if they can successfully and safely and lovingly raise a child. Um, and so we try not to get engaged in the political conversations, but we're also going to make sure that we stand up for the rights of both children waiting to be adopted and families who step forward to adopt. Mm. I mean that that's really laudable. Um, uh, I've Scott, got you something. Like you're about to say something. Go for it, Scott. Well, and these are rough because obviously they, you know, fluctuates, doesn't it? So in Scotland, one in twelve was um, LGBTQIA plus. Um, in Wales, one in eight, wow. and in England, one in six. Wow. Um, now, when it, when it, when this all first well, sorry, when. Um, same-sex couples were first able to adopt. It was one in, sorry, it was one in 31. Oh, That's oh. an average across the UK. Yep. So, and, yeah. and there's that difference between what's legal and then what happens in practice, right? Um, so in, in the United States, it's legal in all 50 states for same-sex couples to adopt, right? Legal for all same-sex couples to get married. But what happens in practice at an individual agency level can sometimes be the difference between letting that happen, making it happen, or frustrating someone mm. uh, to the point of stepping away from the system. And so that's where we try to do a lot of education. Again, for the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, we give a lot of grant money out to organizations as part of one of our signature programs, they have to sign a non-discrimination statement that says they will not engage in that kind of behavior. And if they can't sign it, great, but you can't be a, a grantee of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Yeah. So is that, I mean, is that feels quite progressive in the context that you've described. Is Does that cause, has that caused you any conflict or is it just basically you just, you kind of shake the dust off your feet and move on and find yeah. families? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 So far, you know, um, who knows what's yeah. going to happen in the next few years? I mean, who, well, who would have believed yeah. we would be at this point at this, you know, now? So, yeah. um, but I think things will even out, I, I think. Um, I think if we continue to simply focus on what's best for this child, what's best for this family, how do we provide all of the supports necessary to make this child a mm. success, however you define that, hopefully everything else will fall by the wayside, but we'll see. Because we use the phrase, um, you know, we're looking for, we're not looking for children for families, we're looking for families for children. Exactly. We use the exact same thing. Absolutely. And, and that sometimes feels really clear until you start to get into the murkiness of doing it. Um, yeah. Scott looks like he's got a question, but I might No, I was in. just going to comment on on the kind of the recent stuff that's gone on in the US and how a lot of people here are are now, now starting to understand how 
the US works in terms of this kind yeah. of thing. Because, you know, yes, like you say, you know, um, same-sex marriage is, is legal in 50 states, adoption, but that could be taken away very quickly yeah. if it's not in. And I know, you know, I've read a lot of stuff Again, the American system is fascinating for lots of reasons. <laughs> Not all great, but for lots of reasons, it is fascinating. And I've started to read a lot. Of, a lot of these things are, you know, there's there's a lot of things around statute and the legislation and stuff. Now trying to, you know, get these things into statute rather than just being you know a, a kind of oh yeah we'll do this and that's great and it's not in law so you know and i think that that you know britain especially with the same you know being part of the same sex couple legally married same sex adopters i think that um, there's a lot of concern within the community in the uk and ireland that if the us can do it then it can be done elsewhere well, and that that's sad yeah yeah and that is a very yeah. sad state of affairs that you know people would would feel like that um so you know um it's not your fault ria i'm just <laughs> we don't speak to american people on the podcast very often but it's like yeah. an opportunity just to to mention it, you know, that that's Absolutely. how we're feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think it, it just makes us want to double down and stay vigilant and continue telling the yeah. story yeah. of yeah. here's what every here's what all families look like. It's not yeah. just what you think your family looks like. Mm-hmm. They look different and they're still safe and successful and loving and and kind and everything that a child needs. I think we have to we have to make sure we continue to tell the flip side of the story and not let the the loud voices drown out what can be best for for humans in this case yeah well can i drag you back off the rocks now onto safer ground like a palpable sigh of relief all around um <laughs> i'm scared of losing my registration i'm sure i can't i'm sure I, i'm okay saying things in america i'm, that... I'm sure you're all in, internationally i'm sure that... <laughs> well actually it's quite hard to be a social worker in america i think that the the, the bar is much higher than the uk but anyway that's another story um <laughs> i have to <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't have me in America. Um, the question I wanted to ask is relation to older children. And I, and as I started to think about adopting older children, I one of the key things that, or one of the things that we're really working hard on, I think, as a system in the UK, is how do we maintain significant links for children? Yes. Because the one of the, and I think right and probably really, you know, justified criticisms of adoption, we've we see is that it's it's that severance of that family connection and you of course there sometimes there's a there's a need but not for every single person in the family and yeah. um, yeah. working with teenagers or your older older children then how but there's a legal severance but there's not a necessary can you kind of paint a picture of what the, the thinking is around that and how what the practice is around supporting, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds and that? It's fascinating. Absolutely. And and quite honestly, it's cruel not to um if at all possible, engage that child or keep that child connected to familial connections. I mean, it's just part of who they are, it's how they identify themselves. Once again, that's changed radically in the US. I mean, it wasn't so long ago where 
when those ties were severed, that's it. You didn't talk family. Mm -hmm. You didn't reach out to extended family members. The whole, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree was the, 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 the yeah. overriding practice at the time. That's changed significantly. Um, so that, for example, we have a signature program in the foundation where we work on behalf of specifically those children who are most at risk of aging out of care. And we work in um, sort of a, 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 um, a co-funding relationship with states and, and we bring philanthropy to the table and we work with states and we say, we've got an evidence-based model that works on behalf of older children, children in sibling groups, children with special needs, those children and youth most at risk of leaving care without a family, this program works. And so uh, one of the tenets of that is as these, so we hire full-time adoption professionals, we don't hire them, we give grants to organizations who hire full-time adoption professionals that implement this evidence-based model. And one of the first tenets of that is reach out to extended family members first. Make sure that the agency who may have um, either ignored them or forgotten about them or just hadn't reconnected with them in some period of time, reach out to family first because you may find grandparents or or cousins or someone who didn't realize this child was available for adoption or or had been ignored early on mm -hmm. in the process. So absolutely. But then even if the child is uh, ultimately matched with a non-family member for adoption, make sure that those connections um, are maintained if at all possible. Of course, the adoptive parent is the legal parent and they can decide to do ultimately whatever they want. But that becomes part of that education process, making yeah. sure that they understand the value of the extended family. Because quite honestly, here's what we know in the US too. A child turns 18, leaves the foster care system. They tend to go back to that family of origin, no matter what, no matter how safe yeah. it is, if they're, if they're not within a, a different environment. So let's make it a safe connection. Let's make it a, a, a robust one, if at all possible, mm. and take the lead of the child as well. If they say not right now, I don't want to just keep the conversation moving. That's fascinating. Cause that I, sorry. Um, Cause I was thinking with us adopting younger children, we, our adoptive parents um, rightly or wrongly have got, have got the, within their gift to erase the past. Yes. Whereas with a 14 year old, you can't sort of go, well, that didn't happen. Exactly. Uh, and don't, don't go on Facebook and talk to your mother. Right. <laughs> You know, right. uh, so, so you can't you can't pretend or play nice. You know, you, you you've got to kind of embrace that reality, haven't you? Exactly, and I think that's an eyes wide open activity when you jump into the foster care system as a potential adoptive parent. Know that that needs to be part of the process. Um, it may not always be a part of the process, but it 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 probably can be, particularly if you right if you're going to be adopting older kids older than five or six. So even those yeah. kids, you know, at some point will question, wait wait, what went on when I was younger? Yeah. And so we don't want that to be a surprise conversation when they're 18 or 17. It should just be a natural part of, of what their journey has been. Difficult, yes, but a natural part of what their journey has been. So thinking about then the, the, the voice of the child and the young person, I mean, how much say do they have in their future in, in, in how they end up with the family and, you know, all that kind of stuff. What is, what's the kind of process for engaging and listening to a, a child or a young person's voice when it comes to their, 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 their life, their future? 
Absolutely. And it should be significant. And again, part and this program I keep referring to is called the Wendy's Wonderful Kids Program. And if anyone goes to our website, davethomasfoundation.org, they can find more information about that. But um, that's, again, another part of this. So these full-time adoption professionals that become part of this program, they're required. And we, we, we have folks here at the office that manage their activities, but they're required to visit frequently with these children. They have smaller caseloads. That's one of the tenants of the program so that they can develop relationships with these children so that they can hear from the children who is in their life. What do they want? What what are they looking for in a family? We can't promise them that they'll get what they want, but we can engage their voice. We can engage their, their, their knowledge of their own history in order to pursue, um, hopefully, um, what's best for them. And I'll give you an example. We had one young man who had met with his, we call them an adoption recruiter, had met with his recruiter a number of times. And he was kind of shy, but kept talking about this one family that he really spent a lot of time with when he was in foster care. And, and apparently he had just moved. And so he had, he wasn't able to spend as much time, but kept referring to this one young man that his best friend, his best friend, his best friend. The recruiter finally found this family, went to them, talked to them. And long story short, this family ended up being the adoptive family for this young man. They're in court the judge is doing the finalization of the adoption and is asking and should be asking, you know, not only the adults, but the child involved. What do you think? Are you good with this? Do you, do you agree with this? And it took him a little while. He was again, really shy. It took him a while, but finally the the little guy popped up and I think he was maybe 11 at the time. He, he, he stood up straight and he looked at the judge and he said, look, now my best friend is my brother. I want this adoption to happen. So yes, in that case, his voice was everything. He made that connection that no one else may have found out about if they weren't spending the kind of time with him to find out who's in his life. Yeah, yeah. their voices are critical. Okay. I, I kind of shivered when you used the word recruiter there. It was like, yeah. oh, because to <laughs> us, that's like a foreign language. Um, so, so, so on that then, I mean, if a child said, nope, I don't want to be adopted. That is yep. not, you know, does yep. that happen? And, and what, what would happen under those circumstances? It does. And it's a little bit of a more twisted story then, because here's here's what we know, right? A child is in a developmental stage, particularly if they're teenagers, where they're asserting their independence, where they want to get out of the rule of adults, even if they're mm -hmm. in a, they've never been abused and they're at home with their biological family, right? What did we all do at 16 and 17? Get me the heck <laughs> out of here. I want to get out of here. If, if someone had offered me a chance, Chance to get out at 17, it, you know, in a much cleaner way than I, I, I probably would have taken them up on it. So there's, mm -hmm. there's that developmental stage that you have to keep in mind um, that says, no, thank you. I've been through the ropes with adults. I choose not to be adopted mm -hmm. and we want to listen and we want to respect and uh, their voice. But this is one of those where we have to help them think beyond the immediacy of thinking that a teenage brain has, right? Well, let's, let's keep thinking about what happens when you're 20 and when you're you're 25 and when you're 30, who's going to be your family then? And so it, it's not that we disregard that child's voice when they say they don't want to be adopted, but we have to help them begin to understand the value of family so that they don't put themselves in a situation where they don't have that safety net of family for the rest of their lives. That's a t It is mm -hmm. a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it is. And morally, as well as, yes. you know, all the legalities that go around that as well. So, um, you're right, Al. You've got a funny grin on your face. You know? I'm laughing at your last question. Oh, yeah. Well, I've um, got another one after that. So, so do you want to ask this one? No, I've got another question. 
Oh, go on. I, I can remember it. You may yeah. have distracted me. And oh. it, it, again, it's maybe just sort of, as you're talking, I'm sort of thinking this through and um, how it would play out in a UK system. And one of the things I thought, and this is maybe, if I'm being brutally honest, not particularly pleasant thought, is that parents, as parents, you know, I'm, I'm a parent, that I want something from my children. I want, you know, it works best when there's a reciprocation of love. Um, and just, you know, sometimes that's stretched. <laughs> just, you know, like you said, as you say, healthy and normal and all parts of growing up. But it seems to me like um, you're asking a lot of adoptive parents, you know, to take a child at 14, 15, 16, you're asking an awful lot of them. So on a really brutal level, is there any financial incentives for families? Because that's, a, you know, you, you're asking a lot, but also... What, why do parents, I mean, you sort of suggested what, you know, people coming for older children, but it seems to me they're not getting very much back. And so is that, is that one of the challenges you have of trying to sort of articulate that and communicate that and kind of sell that? Yeah, it is a challenge. And I'll answer your first question first, that there are financial supports for families that adopt um, teens from foster care. So in the U.S., the majority of children qualify for adoption subsidies, no matter what age they are, until they turn 18 or depending on the state, 21. So a monthly subsidy to support that child. In most states, there are uh, tuition, either waivers or supports for college. Since when you think about it, I adopt a 14. I haven't saved for college um, for that child. And so yeah. they may do better if they age out of care and get the kind of supports that exist for kids who age out of care. Um, so there are there are tuition waivers. There are adoption tax credits in this country um, for families, uh, both federal and most states have them. A lot of employers have adoption benefits in their human resource packages that they help provide either paid leave or, or uh, financial assistance for families who adopt. So there's there's a there's a again a, a patchwork of of financial assistance that is available. Is it ever enough? Probably not. Um, but there there are there are supports available. The notion, though, that, well, what am I going to get back from this, I think is is a fair one. And, and we talk a lot to families who are just fostering. They're not even mm. thinking about adopting, but that, you know, you have a child in perhaps your home for two or three years that you've fostered. And then they go back to a family that you believe is not going to be best for them. But you have to that's that's part of this this routine is those kids are yeah. going back to their home. And so we talk a lot to those families about you may be that one person in that child's life that has made a difference to them, whether or not they're with you forever. And I think that same sort of notion applies to adopting a 15 year old or 16 year old. You may not get that immediate payback of automatic love and and mm. you know going to Disney World and whatever it is that, that families have a have a sense of what family is all about. But I think thinking in the long term that you will always have a home for that child. That child is always yeah. welcome here. That you've helped them avoid negative consequences of being homeless or being undereducated or unemployed. That you have provided the kind of community support that we should all surround our families with, um, whether they're homeless or hungry or, or, or in foster care, that you've become part of a caring community and you've made it very specific to this hmm. one child. So will you get immediate love? Maybe not, but you're right. You know, you kind of lose that with biological kids at, at about age 13 <laughs> or 14 for a while anyway. Yeah. As, you, as you reflected the answers back to me, it's made me feel like a really <laughs> terrible person for asking. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, the social <laughs> workers will be winging their way to my door to talk to me yeah. about my parenting. Um, I'm sure they again. will. Again, um, yeah. can I just follow up? And it's a really, I mean, it's a brutal question. Again, really, if can I be honest? How much do families get? You know, when you you talked about financial rewards or the yeah. subsistence <laughs> allowance. What does that look like by comparison to, say, a standard wage? I wish I could tell you, but it depends. It depends drastically. Right. Here in Ohio, from county to county, one family might get a, a few hundred dollars a month. Another family might get a lot less. So it's not in the thousands of dollars a month, no. Um, but it's it's at least something. And plus, you get access to health care for those children so that the system of health care that they had, um, which is a big expense, of course, Um it, yeah, it, it just depends. I wish I could give you an average. I could yeah. probably look it up yeah. and get it back to you, but I don't know what that average but, nationally is. And I think, again, from a UK perspective and, and Ireland as well, I think that we, obviously we have universal healthcare and we also have universal education to a point. Yeah. Um, so that those are those are kind of hidden things, but I would imagine that quite you know there'll be a, a primary consideration for a lot of families thinking, you know, yeah, if he yeah. breaks his leg, what we're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that financial piece can be a barrier, either real or assumed, it can be a barrier. Mm. And I think in the UK, the system is, um, it's, it depends on the, the, the government agency as well as to how much you may get as an adoption allowance. And sometimes it can be depend on your income and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And the, but some of the, some agencies do it some way, some do it another. So there's a lot of, again, a lot of differences. Um, my second to last question, Rita, and it's been fascinating talking to you, but, and this may be the most insulting question I've ever asked anybody, but for us Brits to watch the movie Instant Family, and, uh, and yeah, well, okay, so you've laughed. Okay, so you know where this Winced. goes. But to us, to us, you know, I mean, maybe I've been too, maybe I'm too soft. Maybe I've been in adoption too long. I don't know. It really tugged. Um, we, I, I used to work for the organization Adoption UK when that film was released. Um, and we did big screenings and, um, our, the editor of our magazine spoke to the, the producer. Blah, blah. Is it how it's painted in that movie? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing probably not, but how close is it? How close is it to the to the system that you so it's know? It's interesting that you bring it up because we also talked to the producers when when it, we were closely aligned with making sure that everybody knew it was out. It was yeah. a little bit for us of um, a, a, a duplicitous conversation because here's what we believe: we don't believe children should have to sell themselves in order to get into a family. Yeah. So yeah. in the United States, there's a federal Adopt US Kids website. Right, that is that is um, um, funded by the federal government, and the the notion is that someone will look on the website, see a child, and explore that child. But for us, the challenge is what happens when a child who knows they're on the website is thirteen, um, and no one reaches out to get them. Yeah. What's the message to that child? You're not good mm. enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not something enough that I, my face was on a website and no one chose me. And so that was the part of the impetus behind creating this Wendy's Wonderful Kids program that children shouldn't have to sell themselves. And in mm. instant family, that's kind of that same situation. Let's go to this gathering mm. and let's see who picks you out. And those kids know why they're there. They know what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So, now, having said that, it's based on a true story. The producer found yeah. his family there and it's yeah. it's a success story. And so what I don't want to take away is that those things work. 
What we worry about is what about the kids for whom it doesn't work? We've created yeah. extra trauma in their lives. So yes, yeah. those still happen. Those match events still happen all over the country. It's for us, it's not the rule. It should be an added perhaps tool, but it shouldn't be the primary tool for how we look at getting a child adopted, particularly yeah. an older child. It's really interesting because I think that those kinds of things have only just started to appear in the UK, but they would be for younger children. Yeah. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure there would be any, oh, I don't know, I'm probably opening a big can of worms and people are going to complain and write <laughs> in and tell us that I'm wrong. But again. I, yeah, again, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, you're right. I mean, for a five-year-old to go, they've probably got enough something in their head telling them that they're there for other reasons and not just right. there to play or to to see their friends or something like that so that's it's a yeah it's quite a quite yeah, a, it, a dodgy it, path to 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 walk it is dodgy and it doesn't have to be that way um you know look uh, here in the u.s we have you know uh hospitals like saint jude and especially around holiday time there's commercial after commercial after commercial about you know kid you know these poor kids with uh, childhood cancer and they're on the screen and it makes you want to give to the hospital i get it it draws us in it helps you understand an issue but the reality is children shouldn't be exploited in order to solve a problem Adults need to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it, we, you know, we become two minds of this. How do you, how do you draw people in and get them engaged without exploiting the very child or cause that you're trying to fix? Yeah, I think that's something that we do need to work on a lot better. Especially, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, you know, children now being advertised on social media, um, in newspapers at National Adoption Week. You know, things well, that's like that. stopped though. We've we've I think well, we've, 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 we've uh, the majority of it, but you can still you can still see you know examples of children being kind of you know mm. advertised on, on social bleak, media. So that's, that's quite bleak, yeah. Oh. Okay, so have you got a last question? Scott? I do have a last question, Ria, and um, I've left it to last because we can cut it out if you prefer not to answer it, or if if we go somewhere that we shouldn't go. Because very recently, Al and I have had been having this discussion. Um, there was a, a podcast at LGBT um, uh, Adoption Fostering Agency in the UK did a podcast around ethical non-monogamy and um, essentially an open relationship, polyamorous kind of style relationship where it's all, you know, Agreed. You know all the separate. words, don't you? I, I'm, 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 I'm using them all just to cover every every base. To be honest <laughs> with you, um, but Al and I talked about it, and and uh, on the podcast, um, it was an interesting discussion. But what what was very clear was that um, the 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 people who were talking weren't open with their agency and their social workers when mm -hmm. they were being assessed to be parents. So, Q, a couple of weeks later, we get an email from. I'm, I'm sorry, but they were from America and they wanted to talk to us about ethical non-monogamy because they are a non-monogamous committed couple who, based in the US, adopted teenagers. Um, I think the story is coming out in the next couple of weeks, is it? A couple of weeks, yeah. They fostered then yeah. adopted, didn't they? Yeah, they fostered and then adopted um, teenagers. Um, and yeah. they wanted to come on and tell us all about it, as well as kind of some parts of the US system. And I was just wondering, I mean... You know, obviously, your organisation is very different, but but what would the perception be of something like that? You know, if 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 somebody came forward and said we'd like to, to you know adopt a child from foster care, would it be a, a bar to them, or would would it be something that you would work? You know, that that we're putting 
read her on no, the I'm, spot here. I'm, I know, but so that's why I said it out if you don't want to cut it out. If you don't want to, I'm just. Oh no, I will say it's the first time I've got this question. So thank you for that. I love it. I love it when it's a new question. Look, I, I think for clarification, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption doesn't, um, uh, mm. we don't, we're not a foster care agency, yeah, yeah, so yeah, people that. don't come yeah. to us to make those decisions. Yeah, Our advice to them, if they asked, would probably be, you need to divulge that and you need to find out if the agency has an issue with it and, yeah. and let them take it from there, whether they choose to divulge it or not. If it doesn't harm the child, you know, I might be putting myself out on a limb here and I might not have a job tomorrow, but <laughs> hey. if, if it, if it's, if it's, it, and I don't know what ethical non-monogamy is. So I haven't explored it. So as opposed to, a, let's let's say, a, um, um, a heterosexual couple who has affairs frequently, does that disqualify yeah. them as a parent? I don't think yeah. so. It happens all the time. So I, I think it's it, it's odd that it, it becomes a conversation if it's something, again, done fairly privately if it's publicly then that's another that's a different conversation yeah. as well yeah yeah, yeah. thank uh, you for answering that I, I appreciate that that yeah. you know if that you're going to research one. it don't research it on your work computer <laughs> <laughs> that's all i'm saying uh, no no seriously rita thank you for answering that sure. like i say we don't get very many american guests so when we do it's an opportunity <laughs> for us to ask and the reason i yeah. was asking that was because they came from the US, yeah, um, interesting the people that we spoke to, um, and it was a you know it was a delightful story, and I I came away from it thinking you know what there's a lesson to be learned here about judging people because yes actually, exactly we should, exactly we shouldn't yeah. judge just based on words we should you know we should really speak to people about that so sure. I really appreciate that thank you sure absolutely but also for me it was also it raises the big question of what makes a parent mm. what yes because uh, we can. When we strip away culture and uh, all those those kind of what is make a parent anyway off the point, Rita, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Yeah, I feel I've, like we I've, should. I've loved it actually. I should have come yeah. when I when I booked yeah. you all those years ago, but we, <laughs> I don't know what happened, weather or something. Getting out of Canada, so I, don't, I can't no remember words. what it is. No <laughs> it's been great talking to you both. I'd love to do it anytime. Excellent. You can be our North America correspondent. There you go. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Live, live over to Rita yeah. now. Um, breaking news. Yeah. Um, well, it's you, you'll be off to have any tea. We're off to bed now um, because yeah. it's the time differences. So yes. I think you call it supper, don't you, Rita? Yeah. You call it yeah. supper or dinner? Dinner, supper, yeah. food. Yeah. <laughs> Al's from the north of England where they call it tea. Oh, you know. yeah. No, we yeah. don't call it tea here. <laughs> no, no, we don't call it tea where I live either. But I used to. When I lived in Scotland, when I was, you know, a child in Scotland, we used to call it tea, but not anymore. Anyway, sorry, well, I digress. No, I was going to say, in, in terms of our relationship with the colony, the former colony USA, we shouldn't talk about tea. Anyway, <laughs> it's a touchy subject. Still, still feeling quite sore about that. Um, Rita, <laughs> all these years later. <laughs> all these years later. Feel, feel the burn. Rita, yeah. thank you so much for time, spending time and being so open and honest. And and we will put links to all of your you know your thank website you. and the and the Wendy's wonderful kids, um, which sounds fantastic. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, I think it's given us a lot to to ponder yeah. on and think yeah, about definitely. in relation to what we do and how we do it. No, I I, I adored the conversation. I love thinking and learning more about what everybody else is doing as well. We are not always doing everything we should do we're not the best there's there's so much to learn from each other so thank you for giving me that opportunity thank you okay. Ta -ta. Bye.